The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org.
Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the epistle of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. And would you stand as we turn there in our Bibles for the reading of God's Word, thinking this morning, going along with uh, Billy Graham's My Hope, I want us to think today about the simplicity of salvation. Now, the Bible says that you can be certain about your salvation, and one reason why you can be certain is because salvation is not a profound process. It is a simple process. God wants everybody to be saved, and he made it simple for that reason. And so we're going to be reading verses 12 through 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is the word of the living God. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who have taught you, and you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, this uh, November, is we're going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of a, a death of one of the greatest Christians that lived in the last century. That man was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis died in England on the same day that John Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas. And because it happened in the midst of Uh, that tragedy in American life, a lot of people did not notice when C.S. Lewis died. C.S. Lewis was an Oxford dean. He was a well-respected scholar. He was a very outspoken Christian. And uh, if you know an intellectual who has a hard time just believing the gospel because they they think they're so intelligent, you can point them to C.S. Lewis. And one of his books that he wrote was called Mere Christianity. And in that book, he, he sums up the gospel by saying this, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. That is why Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he made salvation simple. And uh, if we look at this passage in Timothy, there are three things I want us to focus on. First of all, notice the first words there in verse 12. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now notice the group there. Paul says all those. Now who does that mean? It means all of us. It means every Christian. Those of us that are saved, our our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We're born again. We're on our way to heaven. And so all those, and then notice our goal, who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Now young people, listen to me. Your goal as a Christian is not just to get to heaven. Once you're saved, your goal is to live a godly life. You're to be an example here on earth. We're to point people to Jesus. Uh, The other day, we went back to a restaurant where we had eaten, and I told you about the young man who uh, we asked if we could pray for him, and he said, don't waste one on me. Well, guess what? We went back to that same restaurant, and guess who was our server? That same young man. And he came by, and I said, "Uh, you know, you're going to get used to this sooner or later. Uh, I said, uh, I asked you last time, is there anything we could pray for you about? And and we just prayed for God to bless you. And this time he looked down and he said, there really is something you can pray for. He said, pray for my dad. And so we did just that. He didn't tell us what to pray for his dad, but we prayed for whatever needs were in his dad's life. We also prayed for God to bless him. And again, when we left, I left him a larger than usual tip uh, because I wanted him to know that we weren't just people who prayed. We were also people who paid. 
And uh, don't, don't sell, tell somebody I want to pray for you and then leave them a chintzy tip, all right? And by the way, I'll tell you where we ate. We ate at Dale's Southern Grill. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the cat out of the bag. I probably won't be able to get in there tomorrow night. But they have a special on Monday night. Two people can eat for, for $10.90. That was our bill. I said, we can't even eat at McDonald's for that. And it was, uh, it was uh, meat and vegetables. So if you want a cheap meal, go to Dale's Southern Grill on Monday night. And you can eat uh, two meals for about $10.90. So I left him an extra special tip because the meal was, was so cheap. But uh, he, he asked us this time to pray for him. And, and why do we do that? We want him to know that we're different. We're not like everybody else. We're not there to, to get something. We're there uh, to give something in return. All those who want to live a godly life. And I hope that's all of our goal. Not just the young people, but all of us need to have the goal of living a godly life. That means turning away from evil and doing that which is good. And so Paul says all those, the goal who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Now the word persecuted here is the Greek word diagmos, and it literally means to pursue, to drive away. And so the question I would ask you, if Paul says all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, are you being persecuted today? Now, Nassim is sitting out here, and I'm glad she's out here today because every time I see her, it reminds me to pray for her mom and dad over there in Pakistan. And, and uh, they're over there in a corner of the world that's completely controlled uh, by Islam, and the Muslims are in charge, and the Christians there are persecuted. And, and her mom and dad are part of a church. And I love getting pictures sometimes and seeing how they worship over there. Uh, it was 117 degrees. And they were in church with no air conditioning, no fans or anything. And they were there worshiping God. And they're persecuted when they leave the church. Why? Because Islam is in control over there. Now, you and I won't be persecuted like that now. The days are coming, though, I believe, when we will be persecuted. If we take a stand for righteousness, we will be persecuted. And so I hope today we can say, I have been persecuted for standing up for Jesus Christ. We need to do it, and we ought to do it. And Paul says... All of us who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the fact, he says, in fact. But then notice the future he talks about. And I think he's talking about today. He said, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. If you had told me when I was in seminary in the night early, well, I started in the fall of 1970. I finished my master's degree in May of 1973 at New Orleans Seminary. And I saw things in New Orleans in those days I had never seen in Birmingham growing up. And when I came back to Birmingham after I finished seminary, guess what? I found the things that had been in New Orleans that were evil. I found some of them right here in Birmingham. I remember when I came back, there was an adult bookstore. I'd never seen an adult bookstore in Birmingham when I grew up here. But when I came back from seminary, there was an adult bookstore. We used to go down in those days and pass out tracts in front of the adult bookstore. And the man got so mad about that. He said, you shouldn't be out here doing this. And we'd say, well, you shouldn't be in there selling that smut. You shouldn't be doing that. And so he would go back in his store then because we wouldn't leave the sidewalk. We'd be giving out tracts and, and handing them to people and, and witnessing for Christ. But if you had told me in those days that what's going on in these days, I would have said there's no way that morality in America would sink to such a low state. When I go home and turn on the news at night, I almost hate to watch the news. Uh, I hear so many bad things, children being killed by their parents, people being shot. Uh, in fact, I noticed Bob Cleveland had a post the other day that one of the men that was killed this week 
had, was convicted of murder and somebody killed him while he was pumping gas in his car. Now, it's not ever right to kill somebody because they're a murderer. Uh, we need to let the law take its course. But these are evil and wicked days. And the Bible says it's going to get worse and worse. Notice the term here, evil people. That stands for people who have no shame and their depravity is unlimited. The Greek word is poneros, and it's used to speak of Satan in Matthew 13, 19. In other words, the apostle Paul says, at the end of time, there are going to be people who are just as evil and wicked as Satan living in society. And then he talks about imposters, and the word imposter in Greek is goyes, which means literally a wailer in the sense of one who appears to be spiritual, but in reality is a phony, a swindler with no spiritual reality in their life. In just a few weeks, we will be in the Holy Land, Lord willing, and one of the places we'll go to is the Western Wall. And the Western Wall is the only thing left of Solomon's Temple in Jerusalem. And when we go there, they give us a little yarmulke we have to wear. And when we go there, the women have to go to one side and the men have to go to the other side because that's the way the Jews worshipped in the temple. And when you go there, there'll be Hasidic Jews standing there and they'll have a Hebrew prayer book and they have the black garb on and they have the long flowing hair and the curls everywhere. And, And as they stand there, they don't just simply wail, but they rock like this. They go like this and they have that prayer book and they're wailing. You know what they're wailing about? They're wailing because the temple is no more. They're wailing over the only thing left of the temple is the foundation of the western wall. They're not wailing over lost people. They're not wailing over people dying and going to hell. They're wailing because they want their temple back and a Muslim mosque sits on the site of what was the temple. We went down there, Jake and I went down there and we prayed. I carried some prayer cards. We used to have prayer cards, little blue prayer cards. First time I went to the Holy Land, I carried those little blue prayer cards with me. The day before we went to the Wailing Wall, we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I took those prayer cards and I told Mary, I said, I want you, uh, while I'm praying over these prayer cards, I said, I want you to video this so we can show the people back in Alabama that I did keep my promise and I prayed for them uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've already talked to a family this week who's going to have a child facing surgery. I said, While that child is having surgery, I'm going to be in the Holy Land. And I'm going to pray for that child in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to pray for that child at the Western Wall. I'm not going to be wailing. I'm going to be calling on God. If you have any special requests, you give them to me. I'll take them with me. I'll put them in my briefcase, and I'll take them with me to the Garden of Gethsemane and to the Wailing Wall. But I want to tell you, when I knelt down in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I was under an olive tree, and I wasn't under one of the old olive trees. They don't let you go in that part of the garden because they're afraid of what somebody who's like these evil people we just talked about would do to those olive trees. Those olive trees were there in David's day. So we know they were there in Jesus' day. We know Jesus prayed under those olive trees. He sweat great drops of blood under those olive trees for you and for me. And so when I got down to pray under that olive tree, and I forgot about Mary videoing me, because when I knelt under that olive tree and I thought about how Jesus prayed and about how his sweat came out as great drops of blood, and I realized he did, he did that for me, the first thing I had to do is tell God, oh God, I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy of your love. I'm so unworthy of your mercy. I'm so unworthy of your grace. But my Lord Jesus Christ made me worthy when he prayed for me in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want to tell you, God will take care of his own. I'll never forget that. 
I couldn't, I couldn't really do anything for a long time but just weep. And then I prayed over those cards. And then the next day I prayed over them. And we tore them in little pieces like the Jews do and put them inside the wall of the temple. Now we weren't wailing. We were praying to our Heavenly Father. We were communing with Him. That's the difference between an imposter and the real Christian. The real Christian doesn't wail. He talks to his father. Now, I know sometimes we, we pray it, we pray and just groan. The Bible says that. There's nothing wrong with that. But what these people are doing is they were making a show of religion. God hates that. God hates it when we're trying to be fake Christians. He wants us to be the real thing. In the future, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But then notice the faith. He says, but as for you, he says, you're not like that. You're not like those evil people. You're not like those imposters. He said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice what he said. He said, Timothy, you know what you believe. I hope you know that today. I hope you know what you believe. How can you possibly be saved if you don't know what you believe? Because I believe that Jesus is God's son. I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe that he lived a sinless life. I believe that when he was 33 years of age, he went to a cross, and on that cross, he bore my sins and your sins and the sins of the entire world. But he said, only those who have faith in him will be saved. That's kind of narrow, isn't it? You know, that's what makes people mad. They just want to have a generic God and a generic salvation. The Bible knows nothing of a generic God. God's name is Jehovah, and his son is Jesus Christ, and his son is the only way to heaven. You say, is that the Baptist way? It's the Bible way. I'm not up here to preach Baptist to you. I'm up here to preach the Bible to you. Now, I'm a Baptist. I believe in being a Baptist. Why am I a Baptist? I believe the Baptists are the closest thing to the Word of God as a New Testament church I can find. If I found another church that I thought was closer to the New Testament church, I'd become whatever that is. But I want to tell you, I've looked at it. And I believe in the New Testament church, you found a lot of the things that you find in a Baptist church today. I hope we find them here. But he said, you know what you've believed, what you've learned. Infernally. And then he said, not only do you know what you believe, you know who taught you. You know who taught Timothy? Well, one person taught him was Paul. Can't, can't, can't get much better than Paul. I'm not talking about Paul Moore. He's a good teacher too, but the apostle Paul is who I'm talking about here. You can't get much better than Paul. Paul taught Timothy. But guess what? Paul wasn't the first one to teach Timothy. Paul talks about two women, Eunice and Lois, his mother and his grandmother, who taught Timothy when he was a child. Listen, you young parents, bring your children to church Whenever you can. Bring them to the fall festival. Man, I had a great time at the fall festival last week. And I want to say thank you to the high school girls Sunday school class. Y'all are the best class in the church. You say, why are they the best class in the church? They sent me a, a bag of Snickers at the fall family festival. I, I have deemed them the number one class in the church. Because they sent the pastor who was on duty making sure everybody had an orange band on. <laughs> We had some communication problems with some of our Hispanic brethren because I would point to my orange band and, and say, you need an orange band, and they would 
you know, like this, and I'd say, Orange Band. And uh, I should have talked to somebody and found out what Orange Band was in Spanish. But I finally just kind of said, go over there and sign up, and we'll give you an Orange Band. Then you get some stuff. But, you know, those girls didn't ask me if I had an Orange Band. They just gave me a bag of Snickers. I like that. But Timothy learned from Eunice and Lois. In the old days in Baptist churches, we had Sunday school classes, women's Sunday school classes that were called the T-E-L class. Some of you mature people can remember those classes. And it would be a group of ladies who were mothers and grandmothers. And what they were saying is we want to teach our children and our grandchildren the way of salvation, the Bible way of salvation. And they were called the Timothy, Eunice, and Lois T-E-L Sunday school classes. He said, you know what you believe, you know who taught you, And then he said, and you know that from childhood, notice this, you have known the sacred scriptures. Now, in Greek, that's heros grammata. I love that. The holy writings. The Old Testament was what Timothy had. That was all he had to to study. He didn't have the New Testament. He had the Old Testament, and he studied the Old Testament, the holy writings. And notice what Paul says about the holy writings, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation. Through faith in Christ Jesus. What is the reason for the Bible? It's not just a wonderful book of stories. It is a book of salvation. The story of salvation is here in the Bible. It begins in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and were cast out of the garden. And then God started in motion the plan of salvation that was formed before the foundation of the world. I don't understand all about that. I've studied it all my life. I believe it with all my heart. But I want to tell you this. God knew who was going to be born. God knew who be saved and God gave us this wonderful plan of salvation even before the world was framed that Jesus would come and die and be our Savior and Lord that someday we could go to heaven now let me hasten on that's what Timothy believed but you know as I look at the Bible Bible salvation is so simple now don't misunderstand me by simple I don't mean it's cheap I would never preach a cheap grace for one soul to be saved Jesus had to come and live a sinless life and die on the cross and be buried and rise again the third day and say, if you believe in me, though you were dead, yet shall you live also. There are eight things in the Bible that point out how simple salvation is. First of all, being saved is like opening a door. Jesus said this in Revelation 3.20. He said it to the church. Where is Jesus in the church in Revelation 3.20? He's on the outside wanting in. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. You ever opened the door? Sure you have. Holman Hunt painted a picture one time of Christ standing at the door. And somebody criticized the noted artist, Holman Hunt, and they said, You didn't draw that right. And he said, What's wrong with it? And they said, There's no latch on the door. Jesus is standing there knocking, and there's no latch on the door. And Holman Hunt said, That's exactly why I drew it that way. The latch is on the inside. Jesus is on the outside. He wants to come in. For him to come in, you have to open the door. You ever opened a door? You can be saved if you can open a door. Very simple. Like taking a drink of water, Revelation twenty two seventeen. Jesus says, him who is thirsty, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. He said that to the woman at the well. He said, if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. You ever taken a drink of water? Now, I want to tell you this. I know we have Gatorade and energy drinks and all kind of soft drinks nowadays. But I want to tell you, the best thing to quench thirst is water. You can drink all that Gatorade. 
and all those other things, all they are is flavored water. And sometimes it covers. When, you're, when I'm thirsty, don't bring me a Gatorade. Don't bring, even don't bring me a Diet Dr. Pepper. I love Diet Dr. Pepper, but don't bring it to me when I'm thirsty. When I'm thirsty, I want water. And when I take that water in, it's so good. If you can take a drink of water, you can be saved. If you can accept a gift, like I accepted those Snickers the other night. And I want to tell you, salvation is better than Snickers, amen? Because when I eat the Snickers, they're gone and I'm fatter. And when I take salvation, I'm saved forever, I'm going to heaven, hallelujah. But I've accepted a gift. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. What are wages? You earn wages. You earn death by living as a sinner. But the gift of God is eternal life. You know, I love to give my grandkids gifts. Uh, Sophie's a little bit young to take a gift right now, but Lily's not. And uh, the other night we went to see Tanner play his last ball game. And I'd been to the Pelham ball game the week before. And they gave me these things that looked like we're saying our team is number one. And they were in the same color as Tanner's team. Tanner was playing his last high school football game. We went out there and we got to see our grandson throw a touchdown pass. And then he started having cramps and couldn't play the second half. They'd won one game. They beat Carbon Hill in the first game. They were playing Cordova, big rivalry in, in Walker County. And we left in the third quarter because Tanner wasn't going to be able to play anymore. Had to get back. Had to do a wedding yesterday. Wanted to get back and rest. So we came back. We got home. We found out that his team, Curry, came back, won their second game. Now, I gave Lily that finger that said we're number one. I started to say, well, you can't raise it up here. Not with a one and eight record. Not even with a two and eight record. You can't raise it. But, you know, she took that gift, and there were two of them, and she gave it to one of her friends. And, she, and I never did see her much after that. She and her friend were just going everywhere, being social butterflies at the ball game. But I gave her a gift. I've given her a lot of gifts, and I love to give her gifts. And she doesn't have to do anything to get those gifts. I give her those gifts because I love her. And the greatest gift I was ever given was the gift of salvation. If you can accept a gift, you can be saved. Jesus said it's like going through a door, not just opening a door. It's like going through a door. He said, I'm the door of the sheepfold. Do you know why this stained glass window is here? Because people need a shepherd. There are times in our lives when we need a shepherd. And when we need a shepherd, notice where Jesus is holding that sheep. He's holding it right against his chest, right against his heart. And Jesus said in John 10, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he said, I am the door of the sheepfold. Anyone who wants to be saved has to come in through the door. It's like going through a door. It's like going back home. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told the story of a young boy we've come to know as the prodigal son. And he was in a hog pen. And one day in that hog pen, he was starving to death. And the Bible says he wanted to eat hog food. He's, in, in fact, it said he wanted to eat it, but nobody gave it to him. He was so hungry. He said, I just wish I had some of this hog food to eat. And you know what he said? He said, I will arise and go to my father. And I'll say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And in thy sight, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Therefore, make me as one of thy hired servants. And he started back from the far country back to the house. And he practiced that speech every mile of the way. Father, I've sinned against heaven in thy sight. No more worthy to be called thy son. Father, I've sinned against heaven in thy sight. No more worthy to be called thy son. When he got back to the, close to the house, guess what? His daddy saw him. And his daddy recognized him. Do you think his daddy stood there and waited for him to come up there and make that speech? No. The Bible says his daddy ran to him and fell on him and kissed him and hugged him and welcomed him back. And he started his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Therefore, make me as one of the hired servants. His daddy didn't pay any attention to him. 
You know what his daddy did? His daddy said, bring a robe and put it on him. And bring shoes and put them on him. And bring a ring for his finger and kill the fatted calf and let's be merry. For my son, which is, was dead, is alive again. He was lost and now he's found he was blind. But now he sees. You ever go back home? Saddest day in my life. My daddy died suddenly, night before Father's Day, 1984. I was the only child. I stayed with my mother for several days after the funeral. Finally, one day, I said, I've got to go back. I've got to go back, tell them. I've got to go back, start ministering. I said, I hate to leave you. I said, I'm a phone call away. That was in 1984. From 1984 till she died in 1992, not one day went by that I didn't call her and tell her I loved her. Because if I didn't do it, nobody else was going to do it. I was an only child. But I want to tell you, when I got in my car that day to drive out of the driveway, and I was leaving that house for the first time since Daddy had died, I had a feeling that was so overwhelming. I was so discouraged, so depressed. I felt like I can't ever go home again. My daddy's gone. Daddy won't ever be there again. It's always been home because mom and daddy were there. Now daddy's gone to heaven. And as I pulled out of that driveway, I was weeping. And then I thought about the words of that old gospel song that says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I want to tell you, you know where my home is now? My home's in heaven. My eternal home. I love Pelham. I love Pelham. But my eternal home is in heaven. That's where I'm going to be someday. It's like going home. It's like going to a banquet. These beautiful flowers you see over here are from Bailey Barton's wedding yesterday. And by the way, uh, the Bartons wanted some people to take these after the service at 1045. If you'll come back in here and take some of these, take them to some shut-ins or to somebody that needs to have their day brightened, that's what they wanted these flowers to go to. So any of you that would like to come and take some of these flowers, please feel free to do that. They asked me to announce that. So if you know of a shut-in that you can take some of those flowers to, please feel free to do that. But after we did that wedding yesterday, we went down to the club. Man, I, I mean, I tell you, I felt like somebody at the club. I drove up to the front. I let the guy park my car. We walked in there. Man, they had a spread of food in there. And I knew Mary was going to be happy. Because the first thing I saw was a table with boiled shrimp and raw oysters and crab claws. And I thought, oh, Mama's going to be happy tonight. And I'll tell you, you men need to learn this. You put money in your wife's love bank when you do things she likes, okay? When you do things she doesn't like, you take money out of your love bank, all right? Some of y'all are about overdrawn. I'm just giving you a word of warning, all right? You need to make some deposits. You've made too many withdrawals. And so I went through, and I got me a plate. Mary got her a plate. And in just a moment, I noticed that all her seafood was gone. And so you know what I did? Being the wonderful husband that I am, I got up and got a plate. And I went over there and I loaded that plate up with raw oysters and shrimp and crab claws. And I carried them back. And I said, honey, this is just for you. And we had a banquet last night. At the, and the best thing about it was it didn't cost nothing. 
Didn't cost me nothing. It cost somebody an arm and a leg. It didn't cost me nothing. Man, I like a banquet. That's, you know, it's like going to a banquet. Luke 14 said a man gave a banquet. And what did he do? He invited everybody. Who does God invite to be saved? He invites everybody. He invites Muslims to be saved, Salim. He does. He invites people to be saved, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done. And by the way, when I talk about being persecuted, I want you to know, I think about Ichbod and Bibi today, over there where they're persecuted for their faith. We need to pray for them and lift them up and encourage them. And if you can help Salim, she'll send money over there to them to help them buy food for Christians who are being persecuted. I'd encourage you to do that. Just, just whatever you got. That's what the Bible calls faith giving. Just give what you have. And, and they can take that. She can get it to her mom and daddy. They can help feed people. If you want to do that, that'd be great because they're being persecuted. But all of us like to go to a banquet. The Bible says being saved is like accepting an invitation to a banquet. The Bible said being saved is like eating a piece of bread. You say, well, that's really simple. It really is because most of the wor- world lives on bread. We, we take bread for granted. Most of the world lives on bread. That's how they feed themselves. And then John eight twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Being saved is like turning on a light. I love what Adrian Rogers says. He says, the gospel is simply glorious and gloriously simple. Now, here's the thing about the simplicity of salvation. First of all, there's the salvation test. Here's the salvation test. If you were to die right now, where would you spend eternity? You say, preacher, I don't believe you can know. Well, you don't know the Bible. The Bible says these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Don't tell me you can't know. The Bible says you can know. And the way you can know is by having a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. First question today, are you saved? Second question today, are you sharing the wonderful, simple story of salvation? You know, one day we'll stand before the Lord. Every one of us, every one of us will stand before the Lord. Some of you may stand before him at the great white throne because you're not saved. If you die lost, the Bible says you'll stand before Jesus at the great white throne and he will judge you guilty of your sins and you'll be sentenced to live in eternity away from God. But if you know Jesus, you won't be at the great white throne. If you know Jesus, you'll be at the judgment seat of Christ. You know what I think is going to happen when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ? We're going to see his beauty and his holiness and his love for us, that love shining through his eyes like we've never known it before. And we're going to be so ashamed we didn't do more for him down here. We're going to be so ashamed we didn't tell people that Jesus loved them. We're going to be so ashamed that we didn't try to get people saved. Oh, friend, I want to tell you, these are dark days in America. We have sin that is rampant. And you know what happens if you preach against sin? When you preach against sin, spirit-filled people say, that's it, preacher, preach it, you're doing what you're supposed to. When you preach against sin and people are backslidden or lost, they say, huh, we don't want to hear that. That's why the Bible says some people have itching ears. They don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear what they want to hear. I want you to know what God says. God says there aren't many ways to heaven. There's one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. And if you're saved, then you need to be telling everyone you know about him. Are you saved this morning? 
Are you telling other people about Jesus? Do you have a burden on your heart for lost people? Salvation is so simple. Why don't we share it more often? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you tell us in your word that we can know we're saved and we can know how to tell others that they can be saved. And, Father, this week, as we have my hope with Billy Graham, I am praying for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I am praying, Lord, that you'll honor the request of Billy Graham who wants to see more people saved in my hope than have been saved in all of his other crusades in America put together. And, Lord, that is a huge goal. It's a huge vision. But, Lord, nothing is impossible with you, and I pray you'd allow that to happen, that this man of God who's honored you with his life might see the fruits of his labor as literally millions of people come to know Jesus. And may we be a part of that, Father. And now, Father, if there are those here today that need to be saved, if there's those here today who need a church home, maybe there are people that just need to come to the altar and get right. Would they come, Lord, during the invitation? Would they say yes to you? They're not saying yes to the preacher or the message he's preached. They're saying yes to the greatest invitation. Come. Come. For all things are now ready. And we thank you for that simple plan of salvation that Jesus paid for with his blood. And we give this invitation and make this prayer in his name. Amen. I'm going to ask the staff to come forward. They're going to stand here at the front. We're going to sing our hymn invitation, Paula. Hymn 596. As we stand, as we sing, would you come this morning? From the balcony, would you come? And uh, this is the reason why I've been putting money in my love bank uh, lately. Uh, Many of you know that for the last several years I have been planning uh, on staying here as pastor until uh, 2019, and I would have been here 40 years at that time, and that was my goal for a long time. But I've always told the Lord when I told him that, I, I said, Lord, I want to do your will, and when you get ready for me to step down as pastor, I want you to tell me before you tell anybody else. And it became apparent to me back in August and September that God was telling me that it was time for me to pass the mantle on to another person. And so I want to announce this morning, the Bible says there's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. In May 1979, God blessed us by calling us here to this church. We came here as a young pastor and wife with one little baby and one little four-year-old boy. And these have been by far the best 35 years of my life. And uh, my bride is having a hard time with this because we got married in June 1971. And in July 1971, she became a pastor's wife. And it's really all she's ever known. Now, God has said it's time to retire in May of 2014. And you say, why are you telling us so early? Well, uh, when I announced it to the staff this week, I found out that the nominating committee already had a meeting planned today. And I've asked the nominating committee committee to present a pulpit committee to the church for your approval. I've asked Brother Paul to be the staff representative on that pulpit committee. And uh, in May of 2014, I'm going to become a part-time preacher and a full-time husband in ball ball. And we're excited about that part of it. We're going to stay in the church. We're going to stay in Pelham. We're not planning to move to North Carolina or move to Jasper. We're going to stay in the church uh, as long as I'm not a hindrance to the new pastor. Uh, my hope is that the pulpit committee will have a new pastor ready to step in in June when I step out in May. And I want you to help me. I want to finish strong. 
I'd like for this church to be the strongest numerically, spiritually, and financially it's ever been uh, in May of 2014 when I stepped down. Uh, I want you to work in your Sunday school classes. I want you young people to reach other young people for Christ. I want this church to be ready for a new shepherd to step in and take over. And I want to thank you for these 35 years. Uh, When God told me to do this, I didn't realize how long 35 years was. When I was 51, I thought I could go to 71. When I was 61, I thought I could go to 71. Now that I'm 65 and I'll be 66 in May, I, I think it's time for a new pastor to come in with energy and strength. And I want you to know, I will be his biggest supporter and I will be his number one encourager. And it'll be the first time I've had a pastor since my pastor, Brother Ralph Field, died back in 1977. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to be this girl's pastor, though. I want you to know that. I'm not resigning as Mary's pastor. Just resigning as retiring as y'all's pastor. But again, uh, I want to thank you. And I want to ask your help. It is my goal uh, to finish strong. And that's what I want to do. So would you pray for us to do that and help us to do that? And pray for the pulpit committee. Uh, I will give them some names. I have names of four younger men that I've been very impressed with. I will give them to the pulpit committee with no strings attached. If they want to go somewhere else, if that's God's will, I, 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 don't, want, I don't want anybody to think Brother Mike picked his successor. I do not intend to do that. I will not give them one name. I will give them four names, and if they don't think there's a good candidate in those four, they're free to go elsewhere. But, again, I wanted to make this announcement. And I hope you understand that this is God's will. Uh, I didn't do this because I, I felt like it was time on my own. God led me to do this. And I think Miss Mary eventually will come around to see that. But uh, uh, she plans on playing the piano here as long as y'all will have her. And uh, I hope to be active. Uh, I hope to preach some places, but uh, I don't think I'll ever pastor again. And uh, never say never, I guess. But uh, my plans are now uh, to retire from the pastorate and to be an interim pastor, supply preacher, things like that. But again, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for these 34 and a half years now. May will be 35 full years. And we're excited about the future for this church and for us. And we appreciate y'all so very much. Uh, God bless you. appreciate that more than you'll ever know. And again, this is God's will. uh, And we know it's best. So thank you for your sweet spirit and pray for us as we transition. And we certainly will be praying for the search committee as they begin to look for a new pastor. I'm going to ask Brother Paul if he would come and dismiss us. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.